Well, it is week two of these collection of talks called the Beatitudes, and I'm really excited about today's conversation because it is the start of May as well. And every May, one of the things that we desire to do is have a conversation around mental health. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I believe there's powerful things in Scripture that can help us not only cope and not only deal with, but be free from those mental health things that maybe have kept us trapped for so long. Things like depression, anxiety, stress, fear, performance, acceptance. I know that we know a lot of things, we're informed of a lot, and we're connected so much digitally and through social media, but sometimes all those things can add stresses to our mind and our spirit that really begin to move us into a place of unhealth and dysfunction frustration in our life. And as we've started this conversation on the Beatitudes, I really believe the Beatitudes is one of the most powerful passages of scripture of what Jesus taught us. Some powerful words of Jesus. And we're going to talk about what the Beatitudes are, and we're going to lean into a very important one. The Beatitudes are are numerous statements that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5. And let me read them for you really quick. They're going to be up on the screen. They're on your card as well. So let's read this really quick and just remind us what the Beatitudes are. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, here's what it says. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. I just love that first line. He began to teach them. Jesus loves to teach us things. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition where you just thought God was telling you things just telling you, who you how bad you were, all the mistakes you have done. And now today I want you to know God's a patient God and his son Jesus is a personal and patient God as well. And he just wants to teach you who he is today. He wants to teach you about who you are. He wants to teach you about the life that you've been created to live and the life that you've been given. And here's what he says when he teaches this crowd. He said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs talked about last week, this first beatitude is about blessed is who are those who are poor in spirit, realizing that we have nothing without God. When we realize we need God, it's a great place to start. See, the place to start is not getting perfect and getting everything figured out. I hear some of us say sometimes, you know, I'll get back in church or I'll go to growth track when I get things figured out. That's not the time to come. (laughs) The time to come is when you don't have anything figured out. And life is crazy because in those moments you say, God, I need you because I can't figure this out on my own. And today we're going to lean into this one right here. It says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Would you underline that phrase for me? For they will be comforted. We're going to lean into that statement a lot this morning. But let's keep going so we can see where the conversation is going to go for the next few weeks. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they'll be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Can I get a solid amen right there? Thankful for that one. Be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I love that last line because it reminds us the beauty of the Bible is not that it's some ancient text 
The beauty of the Bible is that it's the word of God. And it gives us stories that are not just histories, but that are real events that happened. Real people that lived and followed God and trusted him with their life. And to say, hey, these people walked through this, so here's how you walk through life. And Jesus did the same thing for us. One of my favorite verses in scripture is where it says, we do not believe or pray to a God who doesn't know what it's like to be human. We pray and have a relationship with Jesus who walked this earth, who was betrayed and people turned their back on him, who was hurt and broken, who even God turned his back on him. And he knows what it's like to walk through fear and depression and anxiety and stress, but he dealt with those things in the way God has designed it by trusting his heavenly father. See, the Beatitudes are these powerful statements that aren't just good poetic words, but write this down for me. The Beatitudes are counter-cultural statements Jesus gave us to teach us about the full way to live. I can promise you, we can accomplish all these good things. We can have so much success and have every relationship that we've ever desired, but our life will never be full. The only thing that can fill our hearts and our spirits and our souls is the person who filled them in the first place with his breath when he created us out of dust. And that was the creator God. The only way we can be full is by giving our life to the one who gave his life for you and me as we celebrated and said thanks in communion in Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, here are some ways to live that make no sense, but it's the way God designed it. Here are the things to follow when you don't know where to go. And they're countercultural statements because they go directly against what's easy, what's popular. And it's the full way to live. And once again, here it is that we're talking about today, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I'm sure all of us in life, we've walked through a season where we were in mourning. Whether it was a sudden death of a family or a relationship that was broken or a divorce that you didn't see coming or a friendship that ended abruptly or a medical statement that you were given that you didn't expect. Or the, again, the loss of a loved one or loss of your job or just the distance that may you feel between God right now or that mental health burden you're walking through right now where you've tried thing after thing and you're just in a state of mourning a state of pain, a state of crying. What I love about this statement, why it's countercultural, is because I know when I was growing up, it was all about, well, you know, you can figure it out on your own. You can man up, you can muscle up, you can be okay. Don't cry, don't stay in that morning, just get better, get out of that dark place. And the freedom that you and I have today is in this statement that God says, hey, whatever you're feeling, just feel it. Whatever you're going through, just open up about it. Because I'm not going to tell you to get better or stop being so negative. I simply want to comfort you. See, what did the word blessed mean? The ancient translation is not just as simple as the word blessed. It means this right here. I want you to write it down. And the whole tagline of this series has been how to be human. So how do we be human in the way that God created us to be human? Here's what it says. It's that there is happiness even in difficult days because we will experience the provision, purpose, and presence of God. What does blessed mean? It means that we have tapped into a happiness that is not affected by circumstance or situation. We've tapped into a happiness that is not led by our feelings or our emotions. We have tapped into a happiness that has the foundation of the Son of God who has a name, and that name is Jesus. 
knowing that there is always hope, there is always joy, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I grew up in church where you'd ask people, how you doing? And they'd say, I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. That sounds great in church, but it's a horrible way to live because I am stressed sometimes. I am disappointed sometimes. And the human natural way is just to kind of speak them away with these little colloquials that sound good, that make us sound spiritual. But I want you to know today, if you're stressed, if you're disappointed, if you're hurt, if you're mourning, if you're walking through pain right now, man, there is comfort in the arms of Jesus because he wants to be there for you today. It's a kind of heavy message, so I'm going to break it up with some funny stories in and throughout it. Adrian and I, like I told you, we were just in Charleston, South Carolina at the art conference. It's a beautiful city. We love being able to drive up there and hang out for a few days. Always try to put a day before and a day after we can just have some vacation time. I got to golf in the morning, which was great. Adrian was a little upset that golf took five hours because I'm not very good. So she was like, what are we doing now? I'm like, I don't know. We got to go to the conference now. She's like, what? What happened to our day together? Well, we made up for it. We had a day together the last day, and we went down to one of the main streets called King Street down there. We're able to just to walk into some stores, and, and that's what Adrian loves. Her, her, like, you know, the way to her heart is letting her walk into some stores and just shop. And I'm good for the first few stores. I'll be honest, I'm a good husband for about two and a half stores. Because here's how Adrian does it. I love her so much. She walks in, and she'll go to the front first rack and kind of look at every single item, peruse through, walk slowly. And, you know, I'll be, ba- I'll be behind her kind of like, you know, and my breathing will start to get louder the longer we're in the store, right? Like, as she goes to the next row, all right, all right, you know. I'm like, okay, okay, because me, as me, you know, like, when I go into a store, I go, I'm beelining for one rack, and that's the sale rack. Nothing on there in my size, nothing on there I want, boom, next store, right? And so I'm walking around, you know, we get to store two, and we're going okay, and then by the time we get to store three, being such the great wife that she is, she looks at me and says, you can stay outside if you want. You don't have to come in. And I'm like, oh, thank you for the permission. I'm going to sit on this bench, hop on my phone, and let me know when you're ready, right? And that happened for about five more stores. But it was a great day. It was beautiful. Now, when I, when I think about this in the more serious sense is that I think when it comes to the beginning of our life, the beginning of our faith, or maybe when it's easy situations, we're like, yeah, God, come on in the store. Hang out with me. I'll let you look over my shoulder. I'll let you be there. But when it we step into situation three, four, and five, and they're a little bit more difficult, a little bit more harder to invite God in. We say, okay, God, you can stay out here, do your thing, and I'll be out when I've figured it out. I'll be out when I've bought what I needed. I'll be out when I'm ready. And I want you to know that that's not freedom because you can't do this life on your own. That's not where the blessed life is. The blessed life is when you say, God, I don't know what's in this store. I don't know what it's going to cost me. I don't know what I'm going to walk through, but I know I'm going to be far better off with you walking in this store with me, with you walking in this situation with me, because at some point I'm going to need your comfort. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be mourning. I'm going to be hurting, and I'm going to need the God of the universe, my heavenly Father, the Son of God, Jesus, to be right there with me, to wrap me up in your arms and say, I'm here. So I'm just going to invite you into the pain, into the awkwardness, into the hurt. Because blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Would you pray with me today? God, it's simple this morning. We invite you into this place. Be in our conversation today. God, as we write things down and as we hear promises from your word, God, I pray that you would just speak to us. And God, help us know what that that next step is, just what that small step is today as we surrender and trust you. God, I pray for all our incredible local city kids 
next door. God, I pray that you would bless them and teach them, help them know how amazing Jesus is and help them fall in love with Jesus even at this young age as we believe in them and as the next little generation. God, be with our kids team as well for pouring out their lives into these kids to help them know Jesus. We love you, Lord. We're excited for today. And God, tomorrow it starts. It starts, Lord, the journey to the three-peat for the Tampa Bay Lightning to the Stanley Cup. We're praying for it and believing for it. In Jesus' name, we all say and agree. Come on, give me a good amen. And let's get ready for this morning. Thank you, Jonathan. That was beautiful. A man of many talents over there. Drums, piano, all the above. So good. we got an incredible team here. And what I want to do today as we start our conversation is kind of debunk a few things for us that may put us in a place where we can kind of eliminate and erase some of these principles that we think about our lives so that God can begin to rewrite a little bit of what it means to move from mourning to comforting. And I want to give them to you today. And again, like I said, I want to be honest. It might be a little in our face, but I believe it's really good. Sometimes the truth that we need is a little bit on the nose, but that's good. And I was challenged as I was preparing for this. So here, let me give you three quick things. The first thing is this. I'm going to walk through a list of three things to let go of to really begin to be in a good place to process our mourning. The first one is, is that we think bad things shouldn't happen to good people. That is a common thing. Actually, it probably wouldn't be far down the list on when we say what questions would we like to ask God, we would like to ask him, why do bad things happen? And to answer that question, I think the best thing to do, especially when it comes to things of God, is to look at the very beginning. It's a principle when you study scripture. So what did God do or what did God say at the very beginning? Well, at the very beginning, God created paradise. It was called the Garden of Eden. It was a beautiful paradise where man could experience creation, but also walk through creation with the presence of God right by his side. Beautiful place. And that was what God intended. That was what God created. But here's the thing. God also wanted to demonstrate his love for you and I. And for love to truly exist, choice has to exist. Because love is not control. I've learned this in my life. When you have a pet or when you have a child, they're similar sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> is the fact that when if you control your pet or your child and you just make them love you, make them give you hugs and kisses and all that, it doesn't mean that much because they're forced to do it. And as the recipient, you're like, there's something empty about this. But when that child decides, when Shepherd, our son, decides to come give us a big hug or give us a kiss out of his own free will, man, it's all I need during the day. It's the only thing I need. When he says, Daddy, I just want to give you a hug. Oh, thank you. Let's go to Target. I'll buy you the whole store, right? Like, that's what happens. And see, what, ha- what happened in the, in the Garden of Eden in paradise was that God gave Adam and Eve the first humans a choice. He said, you can do all this except this one thing. And if you've ever had kids or know yourself as a human, your first reaction is, what's that one thing? Why can't I do that one thing? And so the enemy came in, lied to Adam and Eve, said, did God really say yes? Yes, he did say, well, do it anyway, and and they chose to turn their backs on God and sin. And ever since then, sin and evil was invited into the world because of our choice that had to exist so that God could demonstrate his love and forgiveness and redemption. So bad things happen because we live in a broken world. Bad things happen because we live in a world where sin and evil exists. Now, I don't think God causes bad things to happen. I believe his ways are perfect. And I believe he looks at the world through the lens of Jesus. 
But I also believe that he uses these bad things to transform us and heal us and help us. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. It's just a truth. And here's a concept that I want you to understand. Life is not fair, just so you understand that. And also, God is not fair. But here's the thing. Thank goodness, write this down, thank goodness God isn't fair. If he were fair, we would have to pay for our sins ourselves. The most unfair thing that will ever happen for all eternity is the fact that the perfect, blameless son of God gave his life for me and paid the price for my sin that I could never pay. I deserve to pay that punishment. I deserve to be held accountable and guilty for my sin. But in the most unfair act ever, Jesus said, no, I'm going to lay down my life and pay for your sin so you could be forgiven and set free and be back in relationship with your heavenly Father God. If you're thankful for that and what Jesus has done, give me a strong amen today because we got to remember that. God's not fair. Thank God he's not fair because that means grace can make sense. If God was fair, grace wouldn't exist. What is grace? Me doing wrong, and then the person I wronged, not only forgiving me, but then giving me something in return. See, not only did God show you mercy and forgive you, but he gave you eternal life and relationship with his son. He gave you strength and the Holy Spirit so that you can live strong and free in your life today. The thing to let go of is this whole fairness idea. Bad things, good things. Now, I'm just surrendered to God no matter what. When we come to that place, we begin to stand on the strong words of, of Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote a ton of the New Testament, and he wrote these letters to his, his disciple, Timothy. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy, if you'll throw it up on the screen for me. It says, yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All the glory to God forever and ever. You see, it's all the glory to God. It's why we lift up the name of Jesus. Why are we singing all hail King Jesus? Because it's not about local city church. It's not about Pastor Ryan and Adrian. It's not about any name except the name of Jesus. That's what we are surrendered to. That's what we know is written on our hearts now. That's the only person that gave his life. And as we celebrate it on Easter, it's the only God who conquered death and is alive today. I don't know why bad things happen to good people, but I know God's in control. Second thing to let go of is this, is that we think pain always means something is wrong. Now, in this terms of sickness, yes, that's true. But yeah, if you have a cough or you have a tightness in your throat, especially in the last few years, you probably didn't tell anyone, you just snuck away to the doctor and got a test. It meant something is wrong. I need medicine. I need help. But sometimes pain is a good thing. If you've ever tried to get back in the gym, first day, oh, I'm so sore, because you're getting healthy. We fast two times a year, January and August. We spend 21 days of fasting and prayer. And sometimes the pain is that I'm hungry. But I know that that pain is drawing me closer to God and helping me depend more on Him. So pain sometimes is a good thing. I remember this old movie, The Princess Bride. If you've ever seen it, I love that movie. And one of the quotes in that movie is that life is pain. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. I'm not trying to sell you something. I'm just trying to tell you what life is. Life is difficult. It's hard. God never intended us to live life pain-free. He intended us to, yes, when we have pain, there's a purpose to it. And that's what we're really going to talk about today. But we lean into this idea that, think, that we think pain is always meaning something is wrong. But I want to I have an honest conversation really quick, especially when it comes to the topic of mental health. 
Now, a lot of you know, and I'll talk about this a few times today, I walked through a very tragic time in my life in my late 20s when my father passed away unexpectedly. Most difficult time I've ever walked through, really one of the most impactful times of mourning that I've walked through in my life. And of course, during those moments, I had a lot of issues and conversations with God and the people around me, went to counseling, just kind of processed through this whole thing. And we know there's five stages of grief, but I also think there's a way to look at it in simple uh, simple terms that help us walk through this process of what mourning really is like. And there's a pivotal moment that I think as followers of Jesus, we have to lean into. If you'll throw it up on the screen for me, here's the process of mourning I think happens that happens in our life. Number one is shock. We can't believe this happened. Shocking. Like with my, with my father's example, he had a routine surgery, went well, and the next day, because of a blood clot that, went, that was in his leg that no one knew about, he died suddenly. And shock is an intense thing. It's one thing to prepare for, but when you're not prepared for it and it happens suddenly and it's too soon, shock is the immediate reaction. It causes us to lose our breath and lose our soul and lose who we are and just begin to feel so lost. And shock can lead to something in that lost and dark place called sorrow. One of the five stages of grief is depression, where we stay in this place where we think we're never going to get any good news ever again. We're just hurt and broken, and sorrow is now the thing that we're feeling every single day. But there is a process to this. And what happens is, is our shock and sorrow can then lead us to struggle. What I began to struggle with was my relationship with God. I was a pastor. I mean, I still am a pastor, but I was a pastor at the time. And my whole life, from 18 years old, was given to the Lord in ministry. And I thought, this, you know, God, you would never, why would you do this to me? I'd given you my life. Like, what is happening? Why, why, why? And I began to struggle thinking that this would never happen. I began to struggle with the concept of the goodness of God. I began to struggle with, does God really love me? Does he really care about me? But there was a pivotal moment that changed everything. And it's the word I want you to write down, is that that struggle led to surrender. Sometimes we let, we let that struggle lead to solitude. And we just like begin to just isolate and deal with all this stuff by ourselves, Or we lay it down and say, you know what, I'm just going to fake it till I make it. I'm not going to really deal with these things. And we continue, even though on the outside we look good, deep inside we are mourning, we are sorrowful, we are struggling because of this loss. But if you surrender it to God, that's when everything begins to shift. I remember it was when my counselor, I've told you this before, when my counselor looked across the table at me and said, hey, do you think God's big enough for you to be angry with him? And I looked him right in the eyes. I said, I think so. Then just be angry with him. The biggest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. Has a ton of worship in there, but also has a ton of struggle and sorrow. God, how long are you going to forget about me? God, how long are you going to do this? God, how long are my enemies going to win against me? God, how long am I going to feel like you're so far away? But at the end of every Psalm, you see this. But your unfailing love lasts forever. But God, you will be there for me. You will answer me when I call on you. You are with me no matter what. Surrender. Then it moves to satisfaction, knowing I know God is doing more than I can imagine, more than I can picture, more than I can see. I begin to be satisfied in the life that God has given me and the journey he's walking me through. The last thing is a service. We begin to sit across the table from people that say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, and we've been through it, and we can say, here's how. I've been there. I've been right where you're at. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with young men now that have looked at me and said, I lost my dad at a young age, or I lost a family member that meant everything to me at a young age. And I can sit across the table from them in complete confidence and say, I've been where you're at. Let me help you. Let me pray for you. Let me be the hands and feet of Jesus and the words of Jesus to you right now. Let's work this out together. See, some of us, we've been 
lacking the surrender of our pain and our mourning. And God's like, I have so much I want to do with that. I have so much I want to help people through you if you would just surrender it to me and trust me. Pain doesn't always mean there's something wrong. The third thing is this, is that we, this is a big one, we think we know what's best. Let me just tell you, we don't. (laughs) We don't know what's best. We don't know what's best. I remember in high school, I'll tell you this story. Remember in high school, I was praying. All my friends, they were going to the University of Florida. I had grown up as a Florida State fan, so my dad hearing me that I wanted to go to the University of Florida because all my friends were going there was like heresy, but he loved me and he didn't kick me out or anything like that. But I was praying. I was like, God, that's where I want to go. Help me get in. It's where all my friends are going. And so I prayed, and, you know, I wasn't the greatest high school student, so I ended up getting waitlisted at UF, and all my friends were like, look, I got accepted. I'm like, great, awesome. Um, but I did get accepted to Florida State. Thank God I went to the heavenly realm here in Florida, not the demonic place of UF. Um, garnet and gold is way better than orange and blue, but we all can mourn together because both our teams are terrible. Um, but here's the thing. Now, it wasn't so much about a superficial thing of I, that's, my, that's who I grew up with as a fan, it was a year into Florida State when I was an advertising and business major trying to, you know, go into the business world that in one of those classes I had a moment with God, these few moments in my life where I, I knew God spoke to me and he called me into the ministry where he said, this is what I have for you. Like specifically, I remember hearing him in a big auditorium. The teacher is saying, you got to do what you're passionate about. And God said, you're passionate about people. I want to call you into the ministry. Now, I didn't know when I was, when I got that no answered prayer of wanting to go where all my friends were, God had something better in store. We don't always know best, okay? The prophet Isaiah knew this, and he was trying to encourage the people of Israel by saying, hey, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just a little freedom today. God knows better than you do. I didn't create the universe. I didn't breathe life into dirt and it come alive. God did. So he knows better than me. The reason we worship is because we know, God, we can't do this without you. Here's what I know is best. I need God's help. We need God's help. And he knows best, better. He sees farther in the future. He is never surprised by anything. God knows best. So where could you surrender that today? Where do we need God's help? Is it in our family, our health, our grief, our finances, our work, even in our spirit? See, what's best is knowing today, I want you to know this, is that God is near, he sees you, and he loves you. And before we move forward into the ways to move from mourning to comforting, I just wanted to take a moment in this quiet, still place today, and I want to throw up a verse on the screen that I think will encourage you today. I just want you to read it for yourself, and I'll read it in a moment. But I want to take a quiet moment. It's from the book of Psalms. If you can throw that up on the screen for me. That it's the promise of who God is. Would you read that for me? Just to yourself, with your spirit. God promises us that he is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. See, I, I, I can't necessarily be close to your situation right now, but I, can, I promise you God is right now. It doesn't say God will be close. It says God is close to those whose hearts are broken. It doesn't say that God will rescue when we do all the right things or deep in the future he'll rescue. It says right now God rescues those who are crushed in spirit. If you're feeling brokenhearted today, if you're feeling crushed today, I want you to know the God that we serve, the God that we believe in, the hope that has a name, and that name is Jesus. He is here 
here in this place today to be close to you, to save you, to rescue you, so you don't have to stay where you're at. You can once again begin to process these things and move from the darkness into the light, move out of that destruction and into the health that God has for you, to begin to be free from these mental health things that have trapped you for so long. If you're thankful for that God is close, come on, let's lift up that thankfulness today. So let me give you three things real quick. Three things to move from mourning to comforting. And let me give you this really quick. They're all going to be this idea of, of the letter R, which will help us remember them. But here's something I know about my life, a very simple testimony for you. Everything in my life, my testimony is simple. It's from this to this, from insecurity to confidence, from fear to courage, from feeling unloved to knowing I'm a son of God, from broken and hurting to healed and restored, from sinful to redeemed and forgiven. I want you to know, it doesn't matter whatever your from is, or whatever you have to put there, from lonely, from separated, from isolated, from whatever it is, abused, whatever that is, there is a two next there that you can move to healing, to freedom, to strength, to family, to relationships, to friendships, to purpose, to making a difference, to impact. That's the statement that God wants for us today. And here's how we move that. Here's kind of the two part, right? Small little word, but very difficult to do sometimes, to move from this to this. The first one is to refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. Refocus on what's happening in me, not to me. I don't know about you, but sometimes if I were to take an inventory of what I pray, a lot of times it's, God, I pray that you would stop this thing. Or I pray that you would solve all my problems. Or I pray that you would do this or do that. A lot of things that I want God to do. If I can encourage you this morning, I think a prayer we should all pray is, God, what are you trying to show me in my life right now? God, what are you trying to do in me right now? Whether life is good or difficult, mourning or celebrating, God, what are you trying to do in me? That's why Jesus says this. Hey, blessed are those who mourn, for you're going to be comforted. Refocusing on the fact that, hey, if you would just be open with God, God will help you see what's going on in your life. God will help you see the resilience and strength that you have. I think about it this way. Here's a beautiful picture of my family uh, from our family photos recently. Actually, if you look at it, it's not really a beautiful picture of my family. It's a beautiful picture of just my son. It's just him. He looks great. If you look at those teeth, you realize, pray for me. We might have a lot of orthodontist bills in the future, but that's okay. They're just baby teeth. They'll fall out. We'll pray for the other ones to come in straight. But here's the thing. If you look at me, I look at that, and I'm so glad Shepard's in focus. I'm out of focus, but I can tell I got kind of like a goofy look on my face. I'm like mid-smile. I'm like, mm. you know, I got like mid-smile face. You know when you look good or bad in a picture like right away. You know your face. You know your preparation. You know what you were like when the picture was taken. I know I look kind of goofy. I'm probably mid like, Shepard, make sure you smile or do this or do that. But you know why I don't care? Because the focus isn't on me. I don't really care. Because my focus is not on me in this picture. It's on my son, and he looks great. That's all everybody, anybody looks at anyway. 
In a much more spiritual sense, when things are going difficult, when you're feeling that pain, when you feel a little goofy or you feel a little alone or you feel like you messed up or missed that chance or you're in that state of mourning, when your focus is on the Son, capital S, Jesus, you don't really care what's going on because you realize my focus is on Jesus. I've refocused my life on him and what he's doing in me, not what's happening to me. I focus more on the joy that I see by having a beautiful son like that rather than the goofiness on my face. See, Jesus is more powerful and bigger than your pain. And when you look at him, you begin to realize, well, here's what Jesus is doing in me. Everything may not be solved or figured out tomorrow, but I know Jesus is with me and there's something going on inside of me that's helping me realize more of who I am to prepare me for the future, to help me move from mourning to comforting. Here's a statement for you, all right? I want you to understand this and really write this down, maybe circle it a hundred times, is that my pain is either a jail that imprisons me or a school that shapes me. That's your choice. It's my choice. What's it going to be? See, your pain is going to be a jail that imprisons you. Again, where you, this is really important because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, and I get that, but my fear for where we're at now in culture is that you identify first with your sickness rather than the healing. Where we say things, again, it's the thing that they teach in AA, which is somewhat good but not real. I am this. No, you're not. You might be dealing with that, but you are not always that. And my fear is that we deal with the situations or the, the health that have made us a victim, and, and that happens. We have to understand that, but it doesn't stop at victim. It moves to victory in Jesus because of what he's done on the cross and how he's conquered sin and death. We don't have to walk through this life stressed or depressed or anxious or afraid. Yes, we may have seasons where that happens, but if you keep walking and surrender, that now will turn into a school that has shaped your life. I've heard it said this way, your pain becomes a platform to help you speak into other people's lives. What you've dealt with, what you've walked through, someone else needs your victory and your healing from that so that you can help move them through. But you can't take someone you've, somewhere you've never been. And we have a whole bunch of voices in society that are like, well, I just deal with this, and that's the, that's the cross that I bear. That's my name tag. No, we're followers of Jesus. We are countercultural to what the world believes. Honestly, and being open that, yes, we deal with these things, and we need help sometimes with them, but we do not stay there. We walk out of that jail cell because Jesus has the keys. We walk into healing and freedom, knowing that now this school has shaped me to teach and help others. Lean into that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we pay attention to the Son of Jesus, the Son of God, who is Jesus. Number two, it's a good one. Well, they're all good. <laughs> Remember, God always delivers. Uh, I say this all the time, and I pray that you would lean into it today. God has never failed, and he's not about to start now. God has never failed anyone, and he's not about to start with you, even though it may feel like that sometimes. It definitely feels like that. But remember, God always delivers. The statement under this is, is that the best predictor of God's present help is his past faithfulness. The best predictor of God's present health is his past faithfulness. Let me tell you a personal story of how this impacts me. I remember when Adrian and I got engaged years ago now. We dated for almost 
probably actually more than seven years before we got engaged. So yes, commitment issues were all abound on each side during that time. So don't worry. You can be patient. It's good. But we, we dated for seven years, and then finally that year came where we were going to get engaged. And I, I like surprises. I like big moments. And so there was a, a, a couple friend of ours who were also about to get engaged, and Adrian was good friends with them. And I, and I called up uh, the boyfriend, and I said, hey, would you, would you, would you kind of like say you're testing out your engagement thing on Adrian? Because I want to work out this surprise. And so he went and like picked her up and took her to this park. Uh, where I had set up like a little stage and some garden lights, had fireworks ready, had music playing. And uh, he walked her up and she was like, wait, that, that's Ryan and I's song. Are you, is your and your girlfriend's song the same? Like, and he was like, take your, and she was blindfolded. And uh, he was like, take your blindfold off. And there I was looking all nice up on the stage, just ready to completely bumble over all the words I had prepared to say. And luckily I got out the, will you marry me? Uh, the ring box was a little big in my jeans. I couldn't get it out, and so that was fun and awkward. But Adrian said yes. Fireworks went off. It was great. She's a little upset with me still to this day because I didn't tell her. It was a big surprise. So she showed up in like some, you know, sweatpants, Florida State shirt, which was awesome, uh, but no manicure or anything like that. So she still kind of says my, my hand looked disgusting when I was doing all the ring pictures. But right after that, uh, we got together with my family to celebrate our engagement went to a very nice restaurant over in Clearwater, Florida. Maybe you've heard of it, Chili's. Uh, it was really nice. Um, and so we were sitting in the little back room at Chili's and my family was asking us questions. When's the wedding? Where are you guys gonna have it? And it was really fun. And I remember there was this moment that's just tattooed on my brain where my aunt looked at me and said, well, who's gonna be your best man? And in that moment, I gotta be honest, I was a little upset because again, I love surprises. I love the shock and awe of gift giving and the, my best man was going to be my dad and he was sitting right next to me and I was like I'll take him to a Florida State game and we'll have some cool way to do it I'll put on a jersey or something best man on the back or something like that big process big shock and awe big celebration and I remember I was really mad that she asked me that because I wanted to surprise him and now I can't say well I don't know because I did know and I looked over at my dad and I said well dad are you up for it and he was like definitely caught off guard because he was very man of few words. And my mom told me later that, you know, he missed the turn going home because he was like so like emotional about it. But I was still, I was mad for a little while. So I was like, my chance to, to create this awesome thing for my dad who has given me so much was robbed of me. You know what God knew that I didn't? A month later, my dad would pass away. And if I had not had that moment that I didn't like, I never would have been able to share with him how much he meant to me. And I would still be dealing with, to, with it to this day. You have these moments where you're gonna be mad that something happens to you or that what something someone says to you or how God orchestrates something. And you're gonna be really upset in the moment. But I'm telling you, God always delivers. And you're never going to see it until you see it. You're never gonna know it until you know it. And I promise it may be days, it may be years, but you'll see it and he'll be there for you because that's the God that we serve. And let me give you a little spoiler of what we believe and what we trust in. It's the last verse in the Bible. <laughs> One of the last verses in the Bible, Revelations chapter 21, verse three and four. Here's the end of the story, everybody. It's that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. It's the end of the, that's the end of the book. It's why we keep going. It's why we keep moving. 
That's why you don't give up on that show you're watching. Because, you know, well, I guess there's more episodes. They can't die now. There's more seasons. That's our eternity when we give our life to Jesus. That's what we're celebrating on Baptism Sunday today. That's why we encourage you to go to Growth Track today because you're helping people realize that. Whether you're parking cars or taking pictures or making coffee or teaching kids, all of it works together to remind people this is not all that there is. And there's comfort for all of you because of what Jesus has done and what he's done in our life. The third thing is this, is to rely on solid relationships. Rely on solid relationships. We're going to finish right here. I know we've gone a little farther, but I just believe this conversation was so important. Rely on solid relationships, solid ones that don't shake, ones that are not swayed. And I promise you, the only relationships that are truly solid are those who are followers, those who are people who follow and believe and trust Jesus. Because as you grow, what you realize is you don't just need faithful friends. You need faith-filled friends. I got a lot of faithful friends, but sometimes I don't need them around me (laughs) because where they're leading me, what they're encouraging me to do is not healthy. I need faith-filled friends who can bring me to the Beatitudes and say, hey, Ryan, just so you know, blessed are you when you mourn because you're going to be comforted. Hey, don't remember, don't forget, God's going to wipe away every tear in your life, Ryan. You need those solid relationships, what we do through things like circles and our small groups and our home team here. And this is what I love. You want to throw up the closing verse today before we get ready to finish. Then many people will give thanks. Not one person, many people. Because God has graciously graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Many people. There's many people in our city who need the good news of Jesus. There are many people in this room who need to know that you can be comforted by the presence of God in your life and move from mourning to comforting as you refocus, remember, and rely on the things that God has given us. Move from mourning to comforting. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and God is wiping away every tear right now. He is close to the brokenhearted, and he is rescuing those who are crushed in spirit. Come on, if you're thankful for that, give me a good amen today. Would you stand to your feet as we close this morning? Come on, let's stand around. And if you if you are getting baptized today, if you'll make your way out to the lobby so you can get ready, we're going to close service in just a second. If you are getting baptized or you wanted to make the decision to be baptized, our team will be out there waiting for you right now. Our care team will be out there. We're going to celebrate with you. Would you just bring your attention up here? I got one last thing I wanted to share with you today as we close. I brought up this water bottle up on this stage for a reason. And I thought about this idea of value. I think about the the value that's in that statement, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now here's the thing, if I were to go to Costco or Sam's Club or even Walmart, the value of this water bottle is pretty cheap because I can buy a 32 pack of them for like a few bucks. It's like almost a penny, right? Or like less than 10 cents, not very valuable. I remember to raise money for missions trips. We would sell water bottles for a dollar at concerts. So it's a little bit more valuable there. Remember I was at the Lightning game just last week. Bottle of water, $7 at that. Woo! A lot of valuable there. I'll just go thirsty or drink from the faucet in the bathroom or something, right? That's just, as I told you, sale rack. But imagine if you were in the desert, days without water. David tells us in the book of Psalms that my soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land. What's the value of this water bottle in that moment? You'd get it, you would give anything for it. It's invaluable because it would mean the difference between life and death. 
And I wanted to share that with you today because I would encourage you to look at this water bottle and look at your pain the same way. Is that you may think it's insignificant and not valuable because everyone goes through pain. And then you come to church and you realize, okay, maybe it's a little bit more valuable than I thought. Ryan talked about mourning and comforting. You know, pain is a school that shapes me. But I want you to see it as there's people in your life that are walking in a desert right now. Their spirit is sapped of all energy. Their spirit is crushed. And they simply need someone to not bring them just a bottle of water, but to bring them the living water of Jesus and say that this is the most valuable, the most important thing in my life. And I see how thirsty you are. I see how dry you are. And I see what you need. And let me just tell you about the Jesus that has saved me. Let me tell you about the Jesus that helped me through life. Let me tell you about the Jesus that has always been there and will always be there and has conquered sin and death to forgive me and redeem me and restore me. That's where your value is. That's where God sees your value today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me today? We're just going to close right here.